Hey, if you'll turn your Bibles with me back to the book of James, James the fourth chapter, I'm going to pick up a couple of verses that we don't want to overlook and we don't want to skip over. James chapter four, we're going to look at 11 and 12, and I also want you to put a marker or turn your Bible on, get that iPhone out, and go to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to put these two passages of scripture together today, and I think it's going to be really interesting. But beginning in the book of James, the fourth chapter, and we're going to keep going deeper And uh, if you haven't seen all of these, you can go online and uh, catch up on the rest. But take a look at these two very powerful scriptures that just grab hold of every one of us right here. Verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren, or the literal translation is brothers and sisters. It's speaking to us, to the church, to people in the family of God. He who speaks evil of or slanders a brother, judges his brother, speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? I like that last part. Who are are you to judge another? Like, what do you got or something? Who are you Uh, to judge your brother and sister in Christ. And some of you might be thinking, well, listen, okay, I get that, but there have to be times when I'm allowed to judge, right? There have got to be some circumstances where it's okay to call a spade a spade, to call something out, to call out some injustice, to call out some heresy, to say, hey, this isn't right, and to, you know, get everybody, you know, on board. Well, Matthew 18 uh, tells us exactly how that process is supposed to work, how you're supposed to deal with stuff like that. So let's take a look at verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Everybody say, you and him. Okay, it's 9 o'clock. I know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have tried that so early. Let's try that again. If you're supposed to go to somebody and tell them their fault, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to tell them his fault between you and him alone. To his face, not behind his back to 20 people. That should be pretty clear. If he hears you, you've gained your brother, but... If he will not hear, take with you two, one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like one of the outsiders, like he's not part of the family. But look at Jesus' point. He's saying, listen, I know you're worried about how to deal with conflict, but listen, the point is, is to do it in such a way that we will still be united. Assuredly, I say to you that whatever you, not personally, you, the body, together, bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say that if two of you just agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Wow. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You're not getting what I'm saying to you this morning. Uh, Listen to this. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. He's talking about the presence of God that is predicated when there is unity among the body and people are together. Go ahead as a group then and ask me anything that you want and it will be done. Somebody should just be excited about that. That's just pretty good. Listen, that's amazing. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He's talking about the power of unity and about the power of being one. And of course, Peter, who always says something, comes into the middle of it and says, okay, I get the unity and I get the idea that, you know, we're supposed to be one, but what about Joe over here? Because there's always Joe, the one that's testing your patience, 
right? And he says, so, okay, so how, how many times must my brother Joe over here, if he sins against me, do I have to forgive him? Because I understand that, you know, your presence will be here if we're one and if we're unified, but, you know, what about Joe? Do I forgive him like seven times? And you've all asked that question, God, how many times do I have to forgive this joker, right? You've said this. Oh, don't be not real with me this morning. And Jesus said this. Let's look at this. Therefore, uh, I do not say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Not, not 490, not literally. Like, like, like as many times as it takes, an, an, a numberless amount, an ongoing spirit of forgiveness. Because, listen, guys, there is a greater principle at work here than you just being judgmental. And he tells them a story, and he says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he, he tries to explain to them the way that the kingdom of God works, which is so different than the way the world works. The kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of heaven, the way it works when I'm ruling things and I'm allowed to rule, it works so awesome. And he begins to tell them a story that tries to describe something that you and I have never seen. But he says the kingdom of heaven works like this. There was this man, this king, and he, this servant was called before him. And they owed a lot of money. The guy owed so much money he could never repay it. It was, it was crazy that he would ever repay it. In fact, they said, well, to pay it back, sell him, sell his wife. I mean, she had nothing to do with this. It's his debt. But because she's associated, which tells you, you better watch out who you're connected to. She's just connected to him, and she said, well, sell her and sell your children. Can you imagine? The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave the debt. And the servant then went out and saw one of his fellow servants who owed him some money, a smaller amount. And he went up to him and he grabbed him by the throat, choked him and says, pay me what you owe me. And the guy says, I can't, have mercy on me, be patient, I'll pay you back. And he said, no. And he exercised judgment and had him thrown into prison. And so when the fellow servant saw what he did, and his master, after he called him, said to him, dude, <laughs> what is up? That's what he said, actually. It says, you wicked servant. But if it was today, he'd be like, dude, what? After all that I've done for you, after all of the mercy that I've given you, I forgave that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. S listen, listen to this last part. So my father will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And I think about what James says. You know, who are you to judge? I want to talk to you this morning about the game of playing God. The game of playing God. Are you going to listen to me this morning? I hope you're right here with me. Are we ready to go? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this opportunity here to take a look at something that is so different from the way our world works. We're talking about your kingdom. We're talking about the fact that you are king of kings and lord of lords. And you have a different way than we even know. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'll do something in us that can grasp and comprehend what it is that your Holy Spirit is trying to get to us through this. Change us. Fill us with your spirit. May we be doers of the word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. My dad is here this morning. It's kind of cool. Um, he's been on a 
a missionary for 40 some years and um, I grew up overseas, pastor's kid, grew up in his home and going to church every single Sunday, missionary kid. And it's amazing, you know, I've been in church so long that I have been in church long enough to know all of the crazy things that go on in church. <laughs> I grew up in a fishbowl, you know, you grew up as a pastor's kid, you're in the fishbowl, you're kind of there, everybody's looking at your family, looking at what you think, looking at what you say, what you do, the sermons the pastor preaches, what people say about that at Sunday at dinner, you know, all of that kind of stuff. People are not nice. People will say all kinds of things at certain times of your life. In fact, I remember one time him being challenged to, you know, publicly and being uh, written about in the newspaper that he needed to, you know, explain his views on this and that and just all the different things that went on as we were kids. I remember when we left the country of Haiti during a revolution, we came back to, um, we came back uh, to this to, to this North American culture, and we st- we, had, we 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 had a home church, and of course Haiti's hot. It's the tropics, you know. You wear flip flops, and it's hot, and and you know churches oftentimes outdoors wherever it's going to be. And we went to this church that was very proper, very up, you know, very specific. And of course, it wasn't too long before my folks started getting these comments and these different things about your kids don't dress right when they come to church. And I remember having the attitude at the time, like, whatever, I just don't care. But I remember at the time hearing all of these things about you're not dressing respectfully for church and so on. So a, a few years later, my dad actually became a pastor of a church, and we decided to go out west. And, and I wanted to help my dad. I wanted to support him. And I remember what has been said before. So I started wearing a suit to church every Sunday and a tie. I wasn't going to be a source of controversy trying to help him out. Right, Dad? You remember this? So I'm wearing a suit, coming to church, teenage boy. It wasn't like three months and a group of parents of teenagers came to the pastor's office, my dad, to say, we have a problem. Apparently, your son has a pride issue. He thinks he's better than everybody else by the way that he dresses. (laughs) And so we want you to step in and intervene because clearly something needs to be done. And so if you can't, you know, manage your house, maybe you shouldn't be managing the house of God. I mean, seriously, people were judging me because I couldn't win whatever you wear. Have you ever felt like that? No matter what you do, you're going to be judged. Have you ever been, there's not a person in here that hasn't felt uh, maligned or judged or, or attacked or criticized, and you're just going, what did I do to deserve this? All of us have felt this way. We have people that will judge us by uh, the color of our skin, the clothes that we wear, the size of our body, the cars that we drive, the neighborhoods we live in. Just take your pick. People will judge you by the decisions that you make. People will judge you by the rules that you break. Uh, We live in in a community, in a country now that is so judgmental. Wouldn't you say this is about the most judgmental time ever that you can ever remember? God forbid that you make a mistake in public today in the view of somebody with a camera. It is going to be on YouTube forever. We're living in this incredible time of judgment where people can't even be real anymore for fear that if they were ever to tell the truth, it would be publicly, public humiliation. I know a, th- a story of three pastors who finally got together just to share their lives together. They got onto this boat. They're out on the lake. They fished the whole day. By the end of the day, one pastor said, guys, I'm glad that we're here. I really don't have anybody to talk to. I just want to tell you about the struggle that I'm having. Is it okay? I- I'm turning to alcohol more than I should. I'm drinking a lot. The stress is getting to me, and I shouldn't be doing this, but I have this problem with alcohol. It got real quiet. The second pastor said, wow. Well, thank you for sharing that because, you know, I haven't known where to share this either. But since we're sharing some things, I want to tell you that I, too, have a struggle. I've been struggling with pornography. I don't know who to talk to about it. It's a battle. I want to stop, but it's a real burden. The third pastor said, wow, 
I mean, since we're all sharing, I got to level with you guys. I have this huge struggle. This is a habit I just cannot break. I have a huge problem with gossip, and I just cannot wait to get off this boat <laughs> and find my phone. What are we talking about when we talk about judgment? We're talking about, we're talking about power, aren't we? That knowledge, that information is power and, and the ability to, to know something or to even, if it's not true, but to get other people to believe that and to come on our side and believe what we say. We do it very subtly. We even say things in such a way to make people feel pity for us at, at the expense of somebody else and what they're doing. We're talking about power and power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And one of the greatest tests that you'll ever have in your life is what do you do when you find that you have power? What will you do? One of the greatest tests is what you will do with power as it relates to other people. When they come into your sphere where you have some sort of knowledge or power or information or something that you can say that will exert power, will you judge? Will you criticize? Will you manipulate? Will you try to control them with your words? I've got to tell you this truth about people. People have a tendency only to love you when you do the things that they want you to do. Isn't this true? As long as you're just doing what they want, that everybody's happy, but just do something that they don't want, you will find an outpouring no matter what the relationship is, whether it's family or friends or a marriage or a church. Just do something that somebody else doesn't want, and it seems as if today there's just an outpouring of frustration, angry. People will start maligning one another. There'll be gossip. People will start judging. They may even walk out and leave you simply because I just don't like what you're doing. One of the things that is missing today is any sort of ability to be able to handle relationships properly. We live in a world where we don't understand what it even looks like to handle conflict. We're so conflict averse. We're being taught by every TV network, every reality show, which basically has one message, be really, really nice to their face and completely nasty behind their back. Am I telling the truth here or not? This is the message of our culture. Nice to your faith. We, we call, that's the Christian way now. That's even called, that's how Christians behave, that we're so nice, we're Christian, nice to your face, and we get nasty behind your back. And, the, and, and let me suggest to you this truth, that a real friend is not always nice, and somebody who is nice is not always your friend. Don't let nice fool you, because a real friend will not only uh, tell you what is nice at times, but they will come to you and tell you things that are necessary, which may not feel nice, but they're necessary because they are a real friend. I mean a real friend. There was a Sunday a while back. I was up here on a Sunday morning, and I was leading us all, you know, let's pray, and people were extremely enthusiastic. People were laughing, having a good morning, and so I was kind of excited. This is great, and so I said, you know, give the high five, the hug, the handshake, greet somebody, and this one young man comes running right out to me. I go, oh, he wants to greet me too. I came and says, hi, how are you? He goes, hi, pastor, your zipper's down. And so I did this little move, you know, and I kind of turned. And it wasn't so nice to be told that, but I'm telling you, it was necessary. A real friend will tell you what is necessary even when it doesn't feel nice. And someone who is not your friend uh, is not going to say anything Great sermon, pastor, it was great today, and then Instagram you to the whole world. You know, that is nasty behind your back, you know, when you're not looking. That's, I'm, are you hearing what I'm saying? 
We need to be able to understand what real friendship looks like in the kingdom of God. Quit being nice to people to their face and then going around their back. Be a real friend. There is a right way to handle the conflicts and the things that occur when people don't exactly do what we expect. Jesus says you want the relationships to work. Be a real friend. And he lays out a process for us in Matthew chapter 18 where he says just go. Go alone. Don't take 25 people with you at first. Just go alone and tell them the truth. This is how relationships are supposed to work in the kingdom of God. But why is it that we don't work that way in the kingdom of God? Why is it that we tend to do the complete opposite and it's so easy for us just to go to everybody else? I'll tell you why. Thank you for asking me, Darren. That the game of playing God is to judge other people while minimizing our own faults minimizing what we do while pointing out the obvious in everybody else. It's the game of playing God. You know, it's nothing so great as pointing the finger at somebody else to get the attention off of you and to say, you know, well, at least I'm not as bad as that jerk over there. And so we blame others and we excuse ourselves. We relabel things to our own convenience. We, we say things like, I'm not a gossip, I'm just sharing a concern. I'm not negative, I'm just being a realist. I'm not critical, I'm discerning. That's what I'm doing. Listen, the gift of criticism is not a gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? A self, I'm not talking about just being, you know, discerning and understanding. I'm talking about that critical kind of self-righteous uh, attitude that puts everybody else down, that's judgmental. Jesus condemned that more than any other sin. He spoke so dif- uh, directly about it, and James is coming to us in this passage saying, listen to what the scripture has said forever. He says, who are you to judge your brother? He lists three things right off in this little passage about judging and why we should never do it. First of all, notice he says this, don't speak evil of one another, brothers and sisters. He who speaks evil of or slanders a brother Judges his brother. Notice in like just the first part of the verse, he's saying brother like three times. What he's saying is, we're family here. Brothers and sisters, do not speak evil of one another. It's not, we do not rip on family. Amen, Pastor Darren. Come on. We do not rip on family. There should be something inside of us that should be a little sad when we see somebody who's one of us, one of our family members stumble or fall. But it seems as if we would approach that with some kind of a glee or, wow, look at what they did to get the attention off of us. And he's saying, brothers and sisters, do not rip upon one another. Don't speak evil of anybody who's a brother or a sister. You know what that actually means? It's the word slander. Do not slander. Slander is when you say something that's untrue, evil, that uh, ruins the reputation or brings down the reputation of another person. I'll tell you something else you, you might not have known, that the word for slander and the word for devil is the exact same word in the Scripture. The word slander and the word devil, diabolos, it's the exact same words. Why? Because in the scripture, Bible calls, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. He's the slanderer of believers. He is the father of lies. And the number one activity of the enemy, of the devil, is to accuse you, to lie to you, to lie to you about yourself, to lie to you about everybody else, to put thoughts into your minds about other people. The scripture calls them vain imaginations and strife and conflict 
conflict. He stirs up and accuses you to your heavenly father. He accuses you to other people. He is the father of lies, and he is constantly lying. And so when you slander, when you join him in that work, the scripture calls that joining with its witchcraft, its rebellion against God, and you're doing the work of the enemy for him. We are most like the devil when we slander. When we speak out against somebody else, including all kinds of criticism and backbiting and judgment and damaging reports and character assassinations and all kinds of stuff like that, insinuations, doing the devil's work for him. So he says, this is unchristian. This is not the way of Christ. And so it's a real admonishment. He says, don't speak evil against a brother or a sister. It's not even Christian. Then he goes on to say in verse 11, if you speak evil of a brother and you judge a brother, you're really speaking evil of the law and you're judging the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, you're a judge. What's he talking about? He's talking about something he's already said to us in chapter 2 where he talked about the royal law. I mean, the law, the big law, the law of love, the law that says love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you say, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to judge anyway. I'm going to say what I want to say. He's saying you're putting yourself up over the law. Actually, you're greater than the law. You're, you're dissing the law, and you're saying, I'm, I'm more, this does not matter. And so he's saying, you're playing God at that moment. I'm greater than this, than this law of love, which is the whole law of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why he says, this is completely unloving. It's unchristian, it's unloving, and number three, it's unjustified because he says, listen, you're not God. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one who's able to, to judge, who's able to, to, give, to, to, to give mercy or to save and destroy. So who are you to judge somebody else? Who are you to judge? Who are you to play God? He says, it's unchristian, it's unloving, it's unjustified. Only God has the right to judge. And he's not commissioned you to go around talking to everybody about everybody. Never commissioned you to do that. Now, there's just overwhelming scriptural evidence throughout the scripture to support this. It's not just this one little two verses. This is the entire, almost the entire New Testament. And I don't have time to list all of the verses today, but I'd like to just show you a few of them that are especially uh, compelling. Take a look at Romans chapter 2, verse 1, where it says this, Therefore, you have no excuse when you pass judgment on somebody else. Why? Well, because whenever you point to judge others, you're condemning yourself because for you who pass judgment, you're doing the same thing. In other words, you're a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. And when I point out what's wrong in somebody else, I'm really not paying attention to the sin in my own life. We're all sinful. We all have areas in our life where we're not keeping our own standards, let alone that of God's. And so to point out and say, well, you're a sinner, well, he says, guess what? You're a sinner too. And that's why Jesus would say to the Pharisees all the time, hey, hey, you who are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. You're without sin, cast the first stone. And they all kind of dropped their rocks and walked away. Another time he would say this. He would say, you know, why don't you quit trying to remove the big plank out of your neighbor's eye or the, the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you've got this big plank in your own? You're a hypocrite. Stop, stop trying to peck out every little thing that's wrong with everybody else when you can't even see your own blind spots. And maybe the most direct of all, Paul said it in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, where he says, every one of us then will have to give an account of himself to God. So then, let's stop judging each other. Let's stop judging each other. You know why? Ultimately, it's because we're not God. 
We don't know the person's heart. We don't have all the information. We don't see things from every angle. We just don't know everything that's going on. Stephen Covey told a story about being on a subway car in New York City many years ago. Peaceful car, not many people on, and they came to a stop, and on came a family with a a father and four very unruly children. The children were just out of control. From the minute they got on, they began to tear up the subway car. Everybody in the car knew this is not right. This, This dad, seemingly the only one on the car, totally oblivious to the behavior of his children. And so as the children begin to run and scream and make noise and cause chaos, everybody's wondering, when is this father going to do something? about his children. Finally, Mr. Covey gets up, walks over to the man to confront him, to say, sir, will you please take charge of your children? The man looked back at him, startled, came back to reality. Oh, I didn't even realize what they're doing. You're right. I'm terribly sorry. We, we just left the hospital an hour ago. Their mother died, and I don't really know how to deal with that, and I'm sure they don't know how to deal with it either. You see, it's amazing how we just don't really know what's going on all the time and how quick it is for us to judge and make assumptions. But there really is a greater law that's underlying all of this. There's a greater spirit that, is, that, that the writer of the book is after, that Jesus is after, that where he's saying, listen, it is so quick to judge and to point out the issue with others, but there is a greater law that's at work that runs through the whole scripture, and it is the, what James has already taught us earlier in this book, where he has said that that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Say this with me. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And that's what's going on in this parable of the unmerciful servant, where this man comes and, and he is owed, he owes so much. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I know you're trying to figure out how do you deal with who's doing this and if this person sins against you, but I want to talk to you about the greater law that mercy triumphs over judgment. Before you get too judgmental on what your brother has done and the seven times he sinned against you, I want you to understand the greater principle at work that mercy triumphs over judgment. Here comes this man who is before the king and he owes so much it is staggering. He's been advanced so many times that there is no way that he's going to be able to get himself out of it. So instead, he tells the master, just give me more time, and the master has him. There's nothing he can do. The master says, sell him. Sell his wife. Sell his children. And you know, that affects me because I think about my children. I think about what that must be like. It doesn't just represent their lives, but it's all the aspirations that I have for them for their future. I think about my dad and what he thinks about me and how God has blessed our life and our family beyond what he could ever ask or imagine and the joy that our lives as children bring to him and to my grandfather before and how I look at my children and I see the future in front of them and wonder, I have not seen nor ears even heard what God has in store for those children, what the blessing of God will be on their lives. And I think about this man who is standing there thinking about losing his children, that they too are going to be sold into slavery because of his own sin and his own uh, debt, and his future is gone. And he's crying out for mercy now. Give me mercy. Give me some time. Just give me time, and I'll pay back everything that you owed. He's desperate. And the master looks at him and says, there's no way you're going to be able to pay me. There's no way you'd ever pay me back. So he gives him something that he does not ask for. He gives him mercy. Mercy. You know what? I'm going to settle this account. 
that you owe. I'm going to, somebody else is going to pay what you owe, and you are going to go free. It's going to be clear. You're free to go. Your wife is free to go. Your children are free to go. Wow. I mean, is that not just absolutely amazing that if you thought that your life was over and your future was mortgaged, when you saw where you were headed and for no goodness of your own, that the amazing grace of the master who looked beyond your fault and saw your need and came to you with amazing compassion, the amazing grace that we sung about this morning. Does anybody know that I'm talking not just about this guy this morning, but I'm talking about all of us that when we realize that we should have been judged, that we should be condemned, that we were in a mess ourselves. And God looked at us, looked beyond all of our faults, saw what we really needed. We should be praising the Lord right now for that this morning. I mean, there might be a few folks in here that say, well, you know, let me say it this way. You know, when we need justice, when we feel that we've been accused and it's not true and it's wrong, we cry out for justice. Justice is the friend of the innocent. Give me justice. Give me justice. Make it right. But most of us aren't doing that. Most of us say, oh, God, give me mercy. God, give me mercy. When I stand before God someday, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be God, give me justice. It's going to be his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. You know, God, give me your mercy. That's how all of us are going to be. And God came and gave this guy mercy instead of justice. And all of us have prayed those prayers. Oh, God, if you would just get me out of this, I will never do that again. God, if you'll just show mercy to me. That's what happened to this man. So then this man leaves the presence of this guy and finds somebody whom he had power over. And here is the test. What will you do when you encounter somebody that you find that you have power over? What will you do? What will you offer? What will your attitude be? And he sees this man that he has power over, and he calls him to account, pay me what you owe me. And this man who had just received so much, who had been offered so much mercy, who should have been merciful the rest of his life, now grabs this man by the throat, choking him, pay me what you owe me. Give me mercy, give me mercy, I'll pay back what you owe. No, you will not. I'm going to judge you and send him off to jail. When the servant saw this and when the word got back to the master, the master's attitude was basically, okay, that's how you want to play it? Okay. Then as you have done to him, so I will now do to you. And he withdrew the mercy that he offered. You see, what this man didn't realize, that he choked this man, but he was choking his own future. He wasn't just choking his future, but he was choking everything that he thought that he had gained back. His choking of this man choked all of his future, his wife, his children. They were all uh, taken, and he lost his mercy. When the master heard about this, he just gave him what he had been giving out. And the Bible says to you and me, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Oh, my friends, it is so much better to err on the side of mercy. God says, as long as I see you give it, I'm going to keep giving it to you. But as long as you stop giving mercy, as long as you treat people with that judgmental spirit, that is what you are going to reap. Whatever you reap is what you're going to sow. Playing God will choke you. And if you don't stop judging others, it's not just about that person or about the 
the situation. It will literally choke out what God wants to do in your life, in the future, what he wants to do through your, your wife and through your kids and through their future, the things that eyes have not seen or ears have not heard about what God has in store for you, but you'll never receive because you're holding on to the bitterness of the past. And God would say to you, you need to let that go. Let God be the judge. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't choke your future by letting it go today. Listen, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning through this message? I hear him say, are you playing God with people in your life? Opinions, attitudes, condemnation, judgment. And I hear another voice that whispers just as loudly saying, hey, but for the grace of God, there go I. But for God's grace, there I go too. Will you remember what he's done for you? Will you keep that in view? Because if you do, it'll change the way you speak to other people. It'll change the way you talk to other people. It will change your future. You don't understand the power of relationships. Relationships open doors. Relationship and friendships are opportunities. What God wants to do through other people and the network and the blessing that he wants to put upon your life is at stake when you hold on to the things that have been done to you. For some of you, bitterness and anger and hurt are crippling your future. And God wants you to let it go today. Just breathe that out. And you say, well, it's painful and I'm angry. Listen, it's human to be angry. All of us have been angry. It, it hurt Jesus to be on the cross and he endured pain. And yet when he was on the cross, he was saying in the middle of his pain while the blood was flowing down, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. Blessed are the merciful they will obtain mercy. Forgiveness is not for them. It is for you. Will you continue to judge or will you offer grace? Can I pray for you this morning? Will you bow your heads for just a moment? He demonstrated his love for you that while you were still sinners, he died for you. So here is the question. Will you say today, I'm ready to stop playing the game, the game of playing God. I'm ready to stop God, you are God and I am not. I confess to you that I have tried to take your role. I have been judgmental. I have been critical. I have whispered and been a part of the devil's work, been an accuser. God, I stand convicted. Oh, God, I'm the one asking you for mercy today. I am sorry for my sin. Will you forgive me, Lord? God, forgive me of my sin. Wash me and make me clean. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. Let your kingdom come in my life today. Let your will be done. God, set me free to serve you and to be, to be all that you want me to be. And I believe if you're praying that prayer and you're saying, yes, God, that's me. God is doing a work in your heart today. It is not by accident that you came this morning. The Spirit of God has an appointment with your soul, and he's convicting you not to crush you or to leave you in the dirt, but to raise you up. You have a future I want you to breathe in that future with all of my heart today. Jesus Christ, I breathe you in. I will stop playing God by the help of your Holy Spirit. I'll just follow you from this day forward. Say, yes, God, that's me. Heavenly Father, fill every person who prayed that prayer sincerely with the witness of your Holy Spirit. Forgive their sin 
And may the latter days be greater than any of the former days of their life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said together, come on, amen. Let's give God praise this morning for the power of his word. Keep coming back. I love you guys. You're easy to love.